Hello, awesome humans, and welcome to today's episode of the Awesome Human Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host, and I'm so grateful you're here. As a quick reminder, we record this podcast with a live virtual audience, so you will hear me respond to questions and comments. If you'd like to join me for Awesome Human Hour Live, I would love it. It's every Wednesday at noon Eastern, and you can sign up by going to happier.com and clicking on Awesome Human Hour. Now, before we dive into today's topic, just take a moment to arrive to this moment right now. This time is for you, and I hope you find today's episode really valuable. This is such a treat to have you. Do you know, Alex and I have actually never spoken to each other. We uh, know each other uh, virtually um, through our books and Twitter, I guess, and it's one of the reasons I love the internet, because you get to meet incredible humans and um, then connect and this is almost real world for us, Alex, because I get to talk to you. So let me just introduce Alex um, since I didn't do it formally, but um, Alex is one of my favorite thinkers about rest because the way he writes about it uh, to me has this beautiful combination of a lot of research and I'm gonna ask him about it so we'll get to hear about it, but it's also, um, inviting. Uh, it's also like I've been really inspired by reading Alex's book, which I mentioned at the beginning. I should mention again, it's called Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less, um, among other books. But it's actually a book that when I read it, um, uh, it wasn't just understanding why rest is important, but it also encouraged me to make it a priority. And those are, those are the best um, teachers in our lives. So Alex, officially welcome to our Wellbeing Wednesday webinar. It's so great to have you. Oh, thanks very much. It's good to be with you um, at we Long have West. Say, that's right. Uh, oh, where are you, actually? I know I you're mean, at West. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in California. Um, what if we now measure distance by or uh, proximity to which fire um, oh is goodness. closest to us. So, yeah. So, so how are the, you? The Santa Cruz Mountains fires. You know, um, it's it's like it's like Blade Runner right now. You know, what if I was really? driving? Yeah, and the 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 smoke is the smoke has been pretty bad the last few days. Um, so you know, we're trying to deal with that while all you know, you know, while also dealing with the pandemic. So here in California, you now have to decide which mask you choose to go outdoors. Right, the antivirus one or the anti-smoke one. So you know. How are you? I'm hanging in, but no, yeah. I actually was going to ask you. My best friend lives in San Francisco, so mm -hmm. I was talking to her yesterday, and she has a nine-year-old daughter, and she said, yeah, it's kind of the worst of both worlds because we can't go outside. Her daughter has trouble breathing. When we can't go outside, and then inside, you know, it's more Zoom screen. So, right. yeah, it's, it's tough, right, as if we need more, as if we all need more. Um, uh, but thanks for being here. I'm, I'm grateful to know you're safe. Um, and well, before I ask you a bunch of questions that I know um, you'll have so many insights about, and I just wanted to, I, first I just want to tell you kind of, even though you and I can't see the other participants, we have about 600 people with us right now um, from, uh, uh, not that you need to look in chat, but from all over the country and also other countries. We have a bunch of folks from the uh, UK and other countries. So we have an amazing community that comes together. Um, every Wednesday. I'm so grateful to share the gift of you with them. Before, oh, there's someone from India. I love that. Um, yes, if you're from other countries, I know some of you have shared where you're from. Please share in chat. Um, 
But I just want to share uh, my tiny story about rest because I think um, uh, folks will, uh, it'll resonate and then I'd love to ask you some questions. So, you know, here I am, I teach emotional health uh, as a skill for a living, right? Um, you know, it might uh, seem like, oh, I'm, I'm really good at this stuff myself. Well, the thing is for most of my life, and I've written about this in my books, so some of you may know this, but I really, really firmly believed in the gut that rest is for the weak. In fact, my father, who is my hero, um, he is my hero. He's a brilliant man. He's a double PhD in polymer physics and mathematics and like a brilliant, like total crazy Russian scientist. But I remember he would say to me when I was in college, he would say, oh, you'll sleep when you're dead. Like I would say something <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And he'd be like, oh, stop it. You know, I slept every other day when I was young. Like you'll sleep when you're dead. And so I grew up with that kind of mentality. You know, I'm a, I'm a refugee. I'm an entrepreneur. I kind of grew up with this mentality that, you know, you rest is for the week. Like that's pathetic time to rest. And I actually have to say, I never, if I think about it, I never saw either of my parents rest. Like I don't have an image in my mind of what it looks like to rest. Like they went to sleep, but that's all. And so my whole life, I kind of, you know, I talked to you guys about, I built my career and I worked so hard, like I was obsessed with grit. Grit was my religion. And to rest seemed like to fail. You know, for me to take a break was like, oh, you're pathetic. You're, you ran out of steam. Now you need to rest. And all of this fantastic overwork and grit, yes, it created a tremendous amount of achievement, but then it brought me to complete burnout, which I know I've talked about and complete burnout and a total breakdown and really, 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 really scary um, place in my life where I legitimately faced losing everything that was meaningful, including my health and my company and my family. And so I had to learn to rest at 40. I had to learn to rest. And the most important thing, and then I'm gonna dive in with my questions for Alex, but I just wanna share for me, the most important realization was to recognize that rest and productivity are not two separate things, that you cannot have productivity without rest. And that was a huge, huge um, lesson for me to learn. That's something I still need to be reminded of, but I just wanted to share my journey to learning about rest, because it's not like I was someone who not everyone was good at it, but was okay with it. Um, so yes, in case any of you are wondering, I am working on my father about this whole sleeping every other night thing. I'm like, meh, successful? I don't know. He goes for walks now, which is good. Um, but uh, I'm not, I haven't gotten him there for So with that, Alex, I'd love to ask you, I mean, you've been researching rest and shorter work weeks for a while now. I'd love to start... Um, just by you talking about this idea, like your, the title of your book, right? Why you get more done when you rest. It sounds kind of like oxymoron, right? Like it right. doesn't make sense. So talk about that. Okay. So, you know, the big idea of, of, of the book really is that work and rest are not competitors in when you look at super productive, creative, prolific people, you know, um, really they're partners, right? You need each in order to do the kinds of work that you're really passionate about. And, you know, I think also to, you know, to have, to have a better, more sustainable life. Um, mm -hmm. 
I mean, in rest, I look at, in particular, at people like, you know, famous scientists, Nobel Prize winners, artists, composers, you know, not so much, you know, people, people whose, you know, track records are really clear, you know, their place in history, their achievements, these are all really well understood. And the thing that jumps out at me when you look at the daily schedules of these people is that, you know, these, you know, like, Charles Darwin or Tchaikovsky or sort of Stephen King, you know, these people would, they would actually work like, you know, at their desks um, for about maybe four or five hours every day. And they invest heavily in, you know, really serious hobbies. They're gardeners. They go on long walks. They do things that apparently are super unproductive. But when you dive into of why they do it and what they get from it, you discover that things like, you know, these, that essentially the breaks, the downtime are an important, are important both as restorative time, you know, to simply recharge the mental and physical batteries that you spend doing, you know, doing cognitive work, which actually, you know, is labor, um, sort of despite, you know, despite our lingering feelings that it's not. But also that this is the period in which some of their most important sort of creative breakthroughs happen. Mm -hmm. And by kind of by layering these periods of work and rest, they're able to sort of have ideas, to have insights that they would not otherwise, Mm -hmm. while also having much better lives than they would otherwise. And there's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff from neuroscience and the psychology of creativity that explains why this is so and and kind of how you 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 put those things together. Yeah, I'd love for you to talk about the default network in the brain. And I'd look, cause, and it's again, for some folks who've been coming to, this is our, I don't know if you heard this, our 24th uh, Wednesday webinar like Mm -hmm. this. We started in March, I thought it'd be a couple weeks of the pandemic shut down and then we'd be done, here we are. So I know some of the folks have been with us the whole time and I've talked about the default network, but I'd love for you, Alex, to talk about the role it plays and how it actually necessitates that we rest to come up with new ideas. So the default mode network is something that um, neuroscientists discovered close, you know, about 30 years ago now, actually. And um, when when they first started doing research on or to brain activity using fMRI machines, you know, the machines that make those really pretty pictures of the sort of of the brain, they discovered that when they told people to just clear their minds and do nothing at all, that actually the brain didn't really slow down. Um, mm. Instead, what happens is that there is another, there's a, a, a different set of connections between the brain that light up as soon as you kind of relax your consciousness. It even turns out um, to uh, the brain switches over to the default mode network when you in the time it takes you to blink. So this is, and what the default mode network is, is a set of connections between parts of the brain that tend to be associated more with kind of creative thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know that this is something that kind of the, that the, the, a state that the brain kind of falls into sort of naturally. Mm-hmm. The other thing that 
we've uh, we've discovered is associations between activation of the default mode network and a whole bunch of you know a whole bunch of good things um sort of our capacity to sort of ruminate and make sense of the past our ability to solve uh, sort of to think about and solve or anticipate problems in the future um it's also in kids sort of the sort of the ability to mind wander to have time for the mm -hmm. default mode network um is associated with greater emotional regulation self-discipline emotional balance empathy a whole bunch of you know basically almost all the things that you want your children to develop i was just develop, gonna say right? all the parents listening right now are going uh-huh uh-huh yep. uh-huh and Check. yeah and the default mode network is also also really good at taking up problems that we have not yet solved. Um, so you know that it, you know that thing where you are trying to remember the name of the actor who was in that movie and the TV show and that other thing, and you can't remember who it is. And then, you know, five minutes later, you're doing something else, and all of a sudden, their name pops into your head. Right. That's an example of the default mode network continuing to work on a problem, even while you go off and do something else. Yeah. And what we, what people who take rest really seriously discover is that the default mode network can work not, not just on little, little problems like that, but also really big ones. Yeah. And that, you know, uh, and that, we actually, with practice, bec become better at sort of creating space for the default for the default mode to do its thing, you know, to work on problems that we haven't that you know that we haven't solved, um, and whether we are whether we are resting, doing something else, whether sometimes even we are sleeping. Um, this continues to sort of to operate on our behalf. John Cleese has this great story where he says when he was first starting to write for Monty Python, he would get stuck on a sketch and he would go to sleep. And the next morning he would, he said, not only did I have, you know, did I have the punchline, um, but I couldn't, most of the time I couldn't remember what the problem was. And, you know, I don't, I couldn't remember why I was stuck. That's a lovely example of how, if we create, you know, if we create space for sort of, uh, for rest, create space for the default mode to do its thing, we can see terrific results, both in both, you know, both in our work lives and also in our personal lives as well. So... Yeah. That's it. Is it true? So something that I, um, you know, I obviously haven't done as much research into this as you have, but I have done some when I was working on my book and just for myself um, as a creative person, not just in my work, but as an artist. And um, is it true that when in the moment that let's say, I, I don't know if you know, I'm working on my next book, um, uh, author to author. So, you Good know, the you. pain and right. joy. Yeah. Um, and so when, um, is it true that when we are really engaged in a task, like let's say I'm working on a particular chapter and I'm working on a paragraph, I'm trying to figure out how to say, when the frontal cortex is really engaged, is it true that it's either really difficult or impossible for that default network to work? In other words, that for it to do its job, 
we must stop the focused activity that we would call work. Is that true? It is absolutely true. I mean, basically by almost pretty much by definition, because the default mode is something that operates when we are not consciously or putting our, putting our attention to something else. Mm. Um, so yes, I mean, in order, in order to make use of it, you really do have to build rest into your schedule. Yeah. So, yeah. How much rest do you need? So one of the things that, um, you know, is challenging for folks and you do a lot of work with companies. So, you know, this it's hard, right? We mm -hmm. actually have a ton of stuff to do. Schedules are crazy. Now we're juggling so much. So, you know, let, let's leave the ideal scenario aside. Sure. Of, you know, eight hours sleep. How much rest, what, what kind of breaks should we be aiming for that, are, that is realistic, but that can help us stay productive, motivated, and engage the default network? Right. So I think, first of all, um, you can come at it a couple of ways. And one is to think about um, how long can you sort of sustain a high degree of attention or focus? And, you know, before, before you need a rest. And I don't know about any, you know, sort of about you or sort of uh, or listeners, but I certainly have realized that there is a huge difference between how much I'm able to do, how well I'm able to think when I'm at my best versus those periods where I'm, you know, just sort of sitting at the desk and just kind of grinding metal, right? You know, I'm, the, what, one of the, one of the most important things I've realized is I get, so little done in the periods when I'm, you know, sort of when I'm low energy that it's really not worth trying to push mm. through those. So now those high energy periods for most of us last between about 90 and 110 minutes. So let's say an hour and a half to two hours. And then you need a break of, you know, for most of us, about 20 to 30 minutes is, you know, is ideal. Um, and, and this is a, this is a rhythm that, um, actually regulates not just attention, but a bunch of other things, you know, hormone release and sort of, you know, and other physiological things. So, you know, if you are able to get sort of to work out a schedule where you can break up your day into roughly two hour blocks, um, where your work, you know, that have, that, that include, let's say, you know, you know, 20 minutes of being able to get up, um, you know, walk around some sort of, you know, stretch a little bit and then, you know, kind of clear, uh, sort of clear, sort of clear your mind. You're going to be more productive throughout the day than if you, you know, kind of sit at your desk and, and just try and just try to power through. Push through. Right. right. Push now, through. most of us, I think, are able to repeat that cycle, you know, two or three times. Um, and then after that, energy levels really kind of drop off, sort of drop off a good bit. Now, I suppose the good part of that is, or the way, you know, the way to acknowledge uh, and manage this is to try and organize your day so that you're doing your less critical, less cognitively intensive things in those periods where you have less energy. Right. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I see both among really creative people and in companies that shorten their work days is that they think a lot about what their most important tasks are and sort of match 
and design daily schedules that match their most important tasks to the times when they're best able to do them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is one reason, you know, lots of people, lots of writers will get up super early and, you know, and write between like 6 a.m. and 9 and they get, you know, 80% of their, 80% of their writing done then. Um, but, you know, and you don't schedule less important stuff. You don't check email. You don't hold, you know, like long status meetings in those periods where you really could be, you know, making serious progress on important stuff. So being able to design, design a schedule so that you put, you know, so that you match up or your energy level to the intensity of the work you're trying to do is a really good thing. What about, so that's really useful. I have two questions that I want to make sure um, I ask you just on this topic. The first is, and I've seen this pop up in chat, um, can you define what, what does it mean to take a break? What, is sure. it, what does it mean to rest, right? Because one thing I've heard, and this, is, this used to be me, um, but one thing I hear so much from people when I talk about rest or breaks is, I don't know. I'm not someone who can sit still and do that. I have trouble resting. Like, I can't right. do that, right? which is actually still. me, right? Yes. I cannot right. just sit here like this, right? That's not me. So what is rest? What is a break? That's, that's a terrific question. And I think that one of the things that, you know, the last few months have taught us is that, you know, being at home and doing nothing is not actually necessarily particularly restful. It is for plenty of us, um, you know, a rather, you know, a challenging, stressful thing. So rest simply is time that we spend sort of recovering the mental and physical energy that we spend doing sort of during work. One of the most important aspects of rest, though, is that, you know, good rest. Now, I don't want to say that there's anything that's really like bad rest, um, but the most restorative forms of rest do not involve like, sitting on a couch with a bag of snacks in one hand and the TV remote in the other. Um, it turns out actually that the, the things that give us the most charge often are sort of kind of what you might call active rather than passive rest. So, you know, exercise, going for walks, working in the garden, um, sort of doing, you know, I think generally social media is less so less restful be, partly because we bring you know we bring to facebook and twitter some of the same kinds of you know of like evaluations of social status and we're trying to read signals mm -hmm. that we have at work um and so for that reason as as well as others it tends to be less you know sort of less of a break than or than what about uh, stuff the, like you know people have asked me like what about you know people have asked like Folding laundry or doing mm -hmm. dishes, like if it's not something I hate, is that rest? Right. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it is. I, okay. So um, uh, unless you work in a laundry or you're a dishwasher. Right. Um, unless it's your job. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that the, you know, one of the other things that you see is that um, the, the kinds of active rest that people, or, uh, that people get the most out of are ones that are of uh, general that are actually kind of physically or cognitively challenging, but not in the same way as your work. Um, and in the case of things like hobbies, um, also 
offer some of the same kinds of rewards as your work, but in a very different kind of medium. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, at uh, sort of Bletchley Park during World War II, you know, the, the place where Alan Turing did Enigma and they cracked, right, you know, right. they sort of, they were cracking codes. Um, a lot of those guys, a, a, lot, a lot of the people there really like to play chess, um, partly because, you know, and these are people who are like, you know, very cognitively engaged, but the thing that they loved about chess was that there were really clear answers, you know, sort of, you were still using your, using your brain, but after, you know, after 40 minutes, you won right. or you lost. Unlike with code breaking, where you could work for months on a cipher and, you know, you might or you might not get it. And right. so that's, and so that made it, that made it restful and restorative. Well, I think one thing that I, um, I think is so, I just want to highlight for folks a couple of things that are really resonating with me about what you're saying. The first is I just asked everyone, because we have an active group here, um, mm -hmm. I asked everyone to share in chat some of the active rest that they mm -hmm. enjoyed taking, because let's inspire each other of different ways. Um, but, you know, it's interesting just to what resonates with me. Um, so I do art uh, for rest. Art mm -hmm. is my hobby, right? I'll often... Um, you can see it, Alex, on me. I'm wearing my art today. But I'll pull out and I'll do watercolor, I'll paint. And people are surprised when I tell them that when I am working on a painting, like this painting behind me, right, I wouldn't call it relaxing. It's actually mm -hmm. pretty intense, focused, creative energy. Sometimes I'm struggling with that painting. But because it is not my job, because it is something takes up a completely different part of my brain that is restful for me. Because believe me, when I'm working on a painting, I'm not thinking about a talk or a book or the, anything in the business, I'm just in it. So I share that because I think um, for me, that was a big insight and it's connected to what you've been saying about active rest. You wouldn't, when you, if you see, watch me painting, which my family has done, <laughs> it's actually like a big ball of energy. I, I'm, I'm pretty tensely in, but what is resting is my frontal cortex, my right. thinking focus part of the brain that I'm using right now to talk to you or work on a talk is resting. So I share that just because we've talked here as this community around um, creativity as something that is restful, but may not be like chill as mm -hmm. you do it, right? Writing is really hard, but writing poetry or writing things can be also restful. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, I, I'm loving, there's a flood, dozens and dozens of things that folks are doing for active rest and chat. So I want you all to read it. There's lots of really great ideas. The other thing that really kind of this illuminates for me, I just wanna to touch on the social media thing um, because people definitely ask, you know, is reading news or social media? I don't think anyone thinks reading news is restful, but I love what you talk about the TV. Um, and I love your distinction of active rest. That's been a, it's a big kind of exclamation mark for me today. Um, you know, something about social media, I'm sure you've seen the same research that shows when you are passively scrolling social media, it's actually incredibly depleting of energy. It can increase anxiety, sadness, but actively participating on social media, so commenting on people's posts or sharing something actually can boost your mood. And I think because it is active, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think that's, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things from what you said. I want to ask you so often when I, you know, I do workshops um, that are self-care related or talking about emotional health or 
people in this forum have asked, well, what do I do if I work for a company that is not buying into this, where meetings are back to back, where I don't have as much control over my schedule. So I'd love for you, that's a tough one. So I'd love for you to, because I know you work with companies, I'd love for you to share some thoughts for folks who have a tough time where they are. My husband is one of these people. I don't know how he does it. I look at his calendar. He works for a big tech firm and it's back to back to back to back to back. Right. So what, what, are, what are some thoughts? So I think, you know, Number one, I think recognizing that there were there were uh, that there really, for plenty of us, are hard limits to what we're able to change within the workplace, and we should first off, you know, recognize that, and second, recognize that um, sort of uh, that there. You know, if we are unable to come up with our own sort of personal personal hacks for those things, um, if we are unable to develop our own habits that more than make up for bad management, um, you know, poor processes, etc., then you know that's it's that's that's not actually a terrible failing on our parts. Yeah. Okay. Um, we live in worlds that are trying that, you know, that, uh, that have developed incredibly elaborate tools for um, capturing and commodifying our attention for absorbing as much energy as they possibly can. So um, I think that first off, okay, so what do you do? Um, the first answer is that people who are uh, more, uh, who are successful in, Sort of stressful, depleting jobs have other places in which they're able to sort of uh, get rest and exercise a degree of self-control over their mm -hmm. lives. So, what this means functionally is, um, or these are people who are more who are better able to um, shut off on the evenings, who take their weekends seriously, who also take vacations. Um, this is a, you know, I think that the, 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 um, the American obsession with not taking vacations and treating that as a cool thing is one of the stupider things that we do. Um, and I think there is, uh, and we, uh, and we would all be a lot better off, um, if we backed away from that and recognized that vacations are not, you know, vacations like sleep are not just for the weak. Um, they are for everybody, but if you look at whether it's healthcare providers, you know, neuroscientists, people in law enforcement, um, ER doctors, the ones who burn out the least, the ones who have the longest careers are the ones who have other things counterbalancing in their lives that allow them, you know, that essentially kind of take their minds out of, you know, the stresses of the day or, you know, the, or, you know, the, or, the and the challenges and allow them to be mental, mentally and physically somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, the, I will say really quickly that there are, you know, there are a growing number of companies that recognize that this, that you know, the way in which we have worked in the, particularly the last, you know, 20 or so years, um, you know, in which overwork has become the sort of competitive sport are actually counterproductive and crazy. And that, and what they are discovering is that if, you know, that when you're able to 
collectively deal with these kinds of issues by doing things like, you know, even simple stuff like only having meetings at particular, you know, like from two to four in the afternoon, leaving people more free time to deal with important stuff. That is like a, that's like 10 times as powerful as the things that we try to do individually. So, you know, I think that, you know, rec while, you know, basically I think in, in rest, in rest, I realized that, or, you know, rest is something rest, the best kinds of rest actually are active. Also that rest is something of a skill. It's something that we can learn to do. Oh, better. now you're speaking my language, Alex, as you know, since you yes. read my book, as everyone here knows and gets sick of me <laughs> saying every week. And I love that you're all sick of me saying that emotional health is a skill. Rest is a skill. Gratitude is a skill. I love that because I think, you know, one of the, um, and before I ask you this next question, I want to remind everyone, we're going to take your questions next. So I know you're already asking them in Q&A and in chat. Um, please put your questions in Q&A or chat. Debbie is looking at them already and she's going to help us moderate. So um, we have a gift of Alex for another 20 minutes. I want to make sure that you get your questions in. Um, but just I, on the skill point, you know, one of the things that, uh, I've heard from so many folks who, are, who say, okay, I've like structured the 20 minute break in my day or something. And I don't know, my brain just, can't, it just keeps going right back to work. So I just like said, forget it, I'll go back to work. So I just want to illuminate this point about rest, right? And the way I think about it is if you like me, like so many of us are really have, have overworked your whole life, don't expect rest to be immediately accessible, right? You may work on, you need to work on the skill of, yes, I really am not gonna focus on work right now. And this is why I think Alex is, I love, I love this term active rest. Alex is gonna go in my next book. Um, uh, because I think when, you know, if you're just gonna try to rest by just like sitting here, it's really hard for your brain to not focus on work if that's where it's getting pulled. But if you go take a walk or you read a couple pages from a book that you enjoy or you listen to a podcast or you do some painting or gardening or a thousand things that you've all highlighted, it distracts you. And so I think it's really just the, to the point of it's a skill. Don't expect you to be amazing at it yourself. If you haven't been someone who, who is good at, at this for a while, give yourself a break, right? Yep. So yes. I want to take some questions, Alex. We have a bunch of questions. Um, and Debbie uh, uh, helps us to moderate the questions because and so she's going to ask them because there are questions in chat. There are questions in Q&A. So Debbie always um, does this amazing job uh, actually asking the questions. So Debbie, uh, fire away. Uh, you can see all the questions. I know some are for Alex. I can take some. Go for it. Yeah, I think Alex. We could, just, I, we could just sit here and listen to Alex for the next hour. Well, I'm going to start with him with some questions. And hi, Alex. I want to um, I want to actually give you um, a couple of things to talk about. And one of them is about um, peak, people saying that their peak period feels like it's in the evening. Mm -hmm. And then also, if you could talk about any research around the different seasons of life and if rest looks different um, for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So peak periods, certainly there, uh, there are, 
there are people who have whose circadian rhythms make them night owls versus or you know versus larks versus something else i think there were four or five different categories that sleep scientists sort of now sort of now talk about um and the you know so however i will also say that from you know uh, two things about this. I mean, number one is that there is some interesting research that shows that if you're in a creative field, um, doing some work contrary to your circadian rhythms actually helps you uh, sort of be more creative. So I am someone who, you know, in college and graduate school generally start, you know, cracked open a book starting around 10 p.m. Um, when I was writing one of my earlier books, though, or of myself, um, I realized, you know, with a job and with kids, this did not work. And so I, that's when I started getting up around five in the morning to write. And I am not a more, I am absolutely not a morning person. But after several weeks, again, this, you know, rest is a skill thing. Um, I found that I found myself being incredibly productive. And that, you know, there were ideas I had in the super early morning that were really, that just sort of flowed. That were hard, that would have been really hard for me to come up with any other time. And there's some, there are, there are a couple of very elegant experiments that show that in fact, people who are night owls do better on creativity tests in the super early morning and vice versa. Um, as you know, and then as for the the stages of life thing, I think there is you know there uh, certainly it is the case that um, as we age, sleep patterns change, the amount of sleep that you need varies. I think that you know for our purposes, the real maybe the more important thing to recognize is that there are lots of people who discover the value of rest who organize their days around or of that and, and build it into their schedules. Every single person who does this discovers it the hard way, right? It is always the case that these are people who discover it on the edge, you know, right before they burn out or, you know, and they discover that they've got that the way in which they used to work no longer works for them either because they're getting older family commitments, whatever, and that they need to make a change or, you know, they're going to collapse. And so, and I had exactly the same kind of experience that Natalie did. Lots of the people in my book um, or have, uh, had this experience. You, it is, you know, incredibly smart people have to discover the value of rest or of uh, the hard way. There's virtually no other way to do it. And so I think that the, you know, the lesson here is that, um, you know, if you are, you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, don't worry. You're probably actually just right on track. And, you know, most people, I think that most people discover this, you know, once they are senior enough in their careers so that they have a sense of, you know, they know how to, they know how to do good work, um, but they're, you know, also old enough so that what they did when they were 18 or 19 no longer works for them. And so, you know, I think that, you know, but and I think that recognizing that that point comes and that once you figure out 
once you go through the experience of figuring out how to rest, you know, you, dis, you develop the sort of reflexivity, the sort of self-awareness necessary to kind of figure out what works for you. That's something that will stay with you so that, you know, throughout the rest of your life, that'll be something that you are able to draw upon so that you can continue to refine how you work, how you rest, your daily schedule, so that you're able, uh, uh, so that you're able to continue sort of to do the kind of work and have the kind of life that sort of uh, that uh, that you want. Yeah, and something I just on that, I just want to add a couple thoughts because um, I'm just looking at the, some of the things in chat and just a thought and a couple things. You know, I, I think it's very true, Alex, that sometimes we have to get to a place where we can't do something anymore to learn a different way. Um, I do think it is possible. This is why we're having this session. This is why you do your work and I do my work to convince people to practice this skill before they burn out, right? I always say, I've, I've gone through something I really don't want you all to go through. So please listen to me. Um, so I do think it is po possible to learn it. And I know we have, and someone just um, asked us, we have lots of parents here and, uh, you know, as a parent, one of my motivators to take rest seriously is recognizing that my daughter is learning my patterns from me. Just like I learned from my parents, do not ever do nothing, <laughs> right? I learned from my dad, sleep every other day. And I say this with love, but what a horrible, horrible piece of advice given with love. But I also recognize how much our kids model us. And so I just want to add that in around the idea of skill. It's a skill you can develop without burning out, but it's also, I think, really important as with any skill to have a bigger why for it. And I think Alex has touched on so many of them. You do better work, you are more creative, you are more productive, you can do your work sustainably. And I just wanna do a shout out for all the parents here recognize that your kids are learning how to do life and work from you. And they are learning by what you do, not by what you say. And I can tell you, my daughter, again, you've met, many of you have met Mia. She's come on some of these sessions with me. She's 16, right? So she's in high school, high pressure. Our teenagers are under the same pressure as all of us. Work, 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 be at your best, get the best grades, get into college, right? That's the messaging. She said to me the other day, um, I was, I think I was doing a watercolor and we also love to color together. So I'll draw something for her, she'll color. I was doing a watercolor, I think it was middle of the day. And she would, came into the kitchen because now, you know, the kitchen is the office. She looked at me and she said, I think it is so cool that you have learned to like pull out a watercolor in the middle of the day. She's like, this, my brain just went, and she said this, she said, my brain just went, all right, I got to take a break. And it was just like one of those like movie moments, you can't make it up. And so I just think it's really, really important um, as you're developing your skill of rest, remind yourself why it's important to you. And for the parents and for leaders, I know we have a lot of leaders on this call, Alex, a lot of people who manage teams. Um, I don't know if this question has been asked, I haven't looked, but it's a question I get asked a lot just to connect to the skill. How do I encourage people on my team to rest? Well, one of the best ways is to share how you are resting. You can't encourage people on your team to rest if you never take a break. So I just wanted to add those couple of thoughts. Debbie, I know we have lots and lots of other questions. Yes, so Alex, uh, two things. One, can you talk about um, 
an, an easy one. Can you talk about if watching TV is restful or not? <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, because we're talking so much about practice and this being a skill, you know, um, people have talked about their ahas of, oh, that's why when this happens, you know, when I, when I go, when I take a shower or I take a break, then I come back and X happens. Mm -hmm. I think it would be really useful if you could um, kind of speak to all parts of our brain and tell us what are the, what are some of the things that occur when we come back from a break that we can look for to encourage us to take those breaks? Hmm. Okay. So as for the first, I think probably the answer is it depends, um, which is, I know a sort of terrible, terribly vague and slippery answer, but you know, um, uh, I think, you know, really it's about sort of the complexity of what it is that you're watching, just as with video games, right? I think that the, you know, sort of Ghosts of, of Tsushima is a different, ex is a fundamentally different experience than Pac-Man. Um, but so I think that the, you know, the answer is, the, the answer for sort of, uh, for anyone who asks that question is, you play around with what you're watching and sort of if that's the, you know, if, if, if sort of, if more rest is the outcome that you want, then, you know, see if, you know, price is right versus broad church delivers more for, you know, sort of seems to, seems to deliver more for you. As for the second regarding sort of what to look for. Um, I mean, I think that the, sort of uh, that uh, what I tend to see, uh, what what I do actually in these sort of in these periods, what I look for are sort of the uh, actually kind of insights that happen sort of during during the rest. So um, my ha so my usual practice is when I'm working on a book, I'm usually up writing by about five or five thirty. I do this for a couple hours, and then I have two dogs, so I take out for a walk. Um, when I do that, I will carry along a little notebook in wit and before I, before I go, write down, a, write down just a couple things that I've been working on that, that have eluded my conscious solution, and I take the dogs, I take them. I don't try to work on this problem, but, you know, basically, my brain has been thinking about it, and so it's just going to, and I, and so it's just going to continue doing so. And somewhere along the walk, as often as not, I'll come up with an answer. It's usually something relatively, you know, like it's usually not a really huge problem. It's how do you deal with this transition between these two paragraphs? How do you structure this particular piece of an argument? The kind of thing that, you know, is, uh, is really familiar to any writer. But I always write this down as soon as it comes to mind because what I find is that two minutes later, I will have forgotten it. And it's all, you know, and so... Um, when I come back, I've got phase two of, of sort of the morning work and I work through that idea and then go, you know, and then sort of deal with whatever else I've got to sort of, I've got to do. But I think that, you know, again, however, you know, this is, this is something that again, grew over time. It, you know, I started doing this and it probably took, you know, several weeks before it started happening regularly and we don't really understand why this is, but there is something in the routine, in the habit 
that you know sort of allow that you know once once your kind of creative subconscious recognizes that it will that it will have this period day in and day out to work on problems in this way it gets better at you know it gets better at doing so um it's really in a sense no more and you know no more mysterious than say you know learning a language when you're a child which is actually you know an incredibly complicated and mysterious thing but you know our brains do it every single one of us succeeded in doing it so you know this may sound kind of sort of mystical but you know our brains are designed to solve problems and you know they want to find ways to do so and if you give them if you give them a regular a regular time in which to do it then um you know they're gonna it's gonna figure out how well, Alex, that's actually a question I want to ask you, um, and I'm, I'm, I've seen a couple of folks ask questions around it. Um, I, you know, I've also done some research, uh, similar research, and it's been really helpful for me to understand that um, we can train our brain, right? I know I've shared this on this webinar. I'm sure it's a quote you've heard, Alex, but your brain is a terrible master, but a great servant. <laughs> and it's one of my favorites. It's my, one of my guiding principles that, you know, if left to its own devices, oh boy, but we can help our brain, we can train it to serve us best. And so my question is around, um, I'll, I'll ask these two questions together because I know we're gonna run out of time. My question is around, um, is it, a, would you advise if it's possible in people's schedules? So again, understanding it is not always possible, mm-hmm. but is it useful um, to have kind of a regular uh, rhythm to a day? Um, so for example, if someone is working on a, on a project or something creative that, you know, I always work in the morning, then I take my break in the afternoon, take my walk. So is the regularity useful? And I'll connect the other question to this is around sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, this will come up. Um, at, if you could just what touch on, you know, we've all heard seven, eight hours of sleep, ideal amount of time. Do we have leeway around that? Does it vary by person? So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna lob that in, but my main question is around is it useful for training our brain to be most productive and rest and come up with these ideas to have a kind of a regular rhythm? Mm-hmm. Um, the answer is absolutely. And, you know, I think that uh, many of, many of the most prolific you know, scientists, authors, and others have what look like incredibly boring lives because, you know, they are, you know, they're, they're at their desks every morning at, x o'clock and they're there until you know until y um and it rarely varies and that that looks dull but it turns out that it is one of the keys to helping you know to helping us not just deal with the kind of everyday kind of you know sort of take off your list kinds of things that constitute a part of our work but are really important for sort of cultivating and sustaining our creative work. You know, we have this idea of, cre- you know, this kind of romantic idea of creativity being something that kind of happens in a flash of inspiration. And then you go and you write for 18 hours and it, that's actually backwards. Um, what, gen- what happens for most of us is you start writing, you start writing at the same time every day. Um, and in the, course, in the course of doing that, the muse strikes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then as for, you know, um, you know, as for sleep, there, there are, it, I, there were other people who've written a lot more about this um, than I have. I do think that um, there's a great book by a sleep coach named Nick Littlehales that I highly recommend just called sleep, but he's, he's a guy who's worked with professional athletes and Olympic teams. But one of the points he makes is that, you know, uh, you should, he recommends thinking about your sleep in terms of sort of 90 minute cycles, because this is, uh, and so think in terms, not just of getting like eight hours sleep, but you know, if you can get six and then wake up, that's great and maybe have a nap later. If you can do seven and a half, terrific. But it's really trying to plan your sort of plan your plan your sleep schedule in those kinds of increments is or is a useful a useful tool, he says. That makes a lot of sense. All right. I always say this every week. I can't believe how fast the time goes. Um, Alex, I'm so grateful for the gift of you. I'm so grateful for you being able to join us and for your insights. I've learned a lot and I've read all your work, most of your work. <laughs> well, thank you. So, uh, and we've had lots and lots of folks in chat talk about how useful this has been for them. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you all, um, the hundreds of you all over the country and the world for making this time for you. I want to highlight that someone put in chat that their active rest is this webinar, webinar weekly. <laughs> I love that. Um, again, Alex's book is called Rest. Um, we'll put, I'll put a link to it in um, the email that goes out with the recording. It is also in chat. And again, just a reminder, because a couple of people um, chatted me privately about our Leading Through Adversity program. Yes, we're still taking applications. You do not have to manage a team to apply. You do have to have a mindset of a leader and want to impact others positively. Um, The best way to apply is to go to happier.com, click on leaders. Um, There's also links in chat. Uh, The program does not start until end of September, but we are interviewing folks now. So with that, Alex, thank you so much. This was so much joy for me for us to finally connect. Thank you all so much. I will see you next week, as always. Um, Preview of what's next week. Next week is all about gratitude and gratitude as uh, help for transitions and gratitude rituals for transitions. And Mia, my 16-year-old, is going to join us. We are going to show you how to make a really fun, colorful gratitude board with your family. So if your kids are home, bring them in. We're going to add a little, create a fun element. Um, It's going to be really, really awesome. So I'll see you all next week. Alex, thank you again so much. Take care, everyone. All right, awesome humans. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Awesome Human Podcast. And I would love to know what resonated. What questions do you have? What are you excited to practice? So send us an email to team at happier.com. And please rest assured, If you send an email that you'd love for me to read, I will always get it in my inbox. My team will send it to me. Let's stay in touch so you can keep practicing skills to help you struggle less and thrive more in work and life. The best way to do it is to go to happier.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I promise you I would never send you spam. It's just more practices, skills, and stories to help you embrace your inner awesome human. I can't wait to see you next week.